Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Film Junk Podcast for Tuesday, February 14th, 2023. This is episode number 883, and my name is Sean. My name is Jay. And my name is Frank. Wow. Coming up on this week's episode, we've got a review of Magic Mike's Last Dance. We're also going to get into some other things we watched, including All That Breathes. Maybe a few cool. other things as well. So thanks for uh, checking out the show. Glad to have you guys with us. Always yeah. a pleasure to have you tune in and, uh, I don't know, sort of care about what we have to say about things. So, Jay and Frank, how are you guys doing? All right. I'm doing pretty good. Frank? Just dandy. I see you guys are both wearing red. I mean, I have to assume this is a Valentine's Day theme going on. Mine is skewing a little more towards orange, but mm. Frank definitely has a Valentine's Day theme going. <laughs> He's got the rose, the nice rose, Valentine's Day rose on his hat, mm-hmm. the red brim. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, when I picked armor. my uh, my hoodie, I did not remember it was Valentine's Day, but it was a coincidental selection or subconscious, who knows? But uh, the hat is curated for Valentine's Day. Very nice. Um, cool. So, I mean, we got to talk about some Super Bowl stuff in a second, because, I mean, that's what this show is all about. But a um, couple of announcements to make. So I guess, um, well, we put up a sort of open thread on Patreon, patreon.com slash film junk, asking for... An open threat? <laughs> Sean posted an open threat on Patreon? <laughs> Chill out, not, dude. I would not do that. But um, we asked for people to give some premium podcast suggestions and retro review suggestions. And I mean, the thread exploded. I mean, there's just so many good suggestions in there. So, uh, you know, thanks for everybody who's who's given us ideas. I mean, we have lots of 172 ideas. comments. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty crazy. But I mean, uh, are, are we ready to announce this month? That's none of the ones in the 172 comments. <laughs> no, there's actually a bunch of people who mentioned this one, although I kind of like gave a little hint with the uh, image on the, uh, on the post. But we're finally getting to the 90s Pulp Heroes Premium. Sort of. the job of Frank. <laughs> sort of inspired by Warren Beatty's weird TV special that aired last weekend. But uh, yeah, so it's going to be... Uh, what is it? Dick Tracy, the Rocketeer, the Shadow, and the Phantom. And I mean, so those I have not seen in quite a while. So should be. Are interesting. we doing the entire Dick Tracy trilogy? Uh, like the two TV specials plus the movie. Yeah, I think it's official content. No, like that's. We might have to. I don't know. I mean, we'll see. Are they available anywhere? Uh, other than why well, they must be on YouTube somewhere. I'm but. sure they're available. <laughs> I mean, it's just weird. Cause I, I think he doesn't really even want people to see those things. He just does them for, uh, or at least the speculation is he's doing it just to maintain the rights to take. That's why we have to talk about them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, anyway, that'll be fun. And then, um, Got to mention TV Junk, new TV Junk episode recording this week for Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power. Long overdue. So long that I probably don't remember anything that happened in this show, but I will attempt to take part in that discussion. 
So that'll be cool. And I think that's... There was a quick ball it. junk Super Bowl preview that went up. Ah, yes. I did listen to most of it. Oh, no. I, fi- I think I finished it. And uh, that's a good lead-in. So you guys were giving your predictions for the Super Bowl. I did pretty good. You you did call it. I mean, uh, did you, now did you win money on that deal? Yes, I did. <laughs> cool. Quite a bit. Yeah. And uh, it's pretty much what I said on the show. They're the luckiest team ever. They're the new Patriots and never bet against them. They get every call. Yeah, well, that's uh, definitely a little bit of controversy at the end there. But I thought it was a fun game. I mean, I didn't tune in for the entire thing. I kind of watched the first half, tuned out for a bit, and then tuned in for the fourth quarter. But, um, But did you guys watch? Did you have any thoughts on other stuff like in terms of commercials halftime show anything like that i didn't i didn't watch didn't want we get a hero drop please (laughs) (laughs) i did watch the super bowl sean all of it and halftime but i did not get good commercials i had canadian commercials so yeah i tried to watch a u.s feed and it was not very reliable. So for the second half, I was watching Canadian. And I mean, the Canadian commercials are so brutal. Some uh, of them made their way to Canada. They were all borderline vomit-inducing. Like the the leaning on celebrity and nostalgia is out of control. The world is out of ideas. It's it's insane. Well, we got to mention the uh, the Tubi commercial. I've not seen that yet. It's going crazy for that. I mean, I didn't actually see it live, so it doesn't really, it only worked if you were watching the game and you saw it live because it was sort of a smart TV menu popping up and switching apps to Tubi and then starting to play a movie. And apparently it fooled fooled a lot of people where they thought they were hitting the remote by accident and freaking out. And uh, was this inspired by sanity effects and eternal darkness? Quite possibly. I love it. <laughs> what movie does it start playing? Uh, I think it was Mr. and Mrs. Smith <laughs> of all the movies to show off that Tubi has. I don't know why that one, but... Oh, we got to do a Doug Lyman preview. Not like uh, Bigfoot <laughs> Massacre 4? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that that would be more accurate, accurate to what they offer, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah. So that was kind of interesting. Um trying to think of what other commercials I even saw that stood out to me. Uh, I, I honestly don't remember. I mean, I guess Ben Affleck, talk- Dunkin Donuts. Oh yeah. And a lot of people thought that the trailer for air, his new movie air was like a parody, but it's a legit movie. I've not watched that trailer yet. Oh, that's good. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. But, um, I mean, I guess we can touch on some of the actual big movie trailers that dropped during the Super Bowl. Obviously, the biggest being The Flash, which is happening. It's actually going to be released. And What was James Gunn's quote? It's one of the best superhero movies ever made. <laughs> really? <laughs> this I was like see when that, they but... were all those DC announcements. Let's, we, you, don't, you haven't heard this quote? <laughs> 
this is this is exactly why I support gun control. We <laughs> <laughs> <Kelly> did. <laughs> uh, I don't know if he scrubbed this quote, but it was out there. I mean, it's weird because it's like this kind. Like, obviously, they announced the 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 upcoming DC slate of like movies and shows that are going to be coming out over the next few years. But like the flash and I guess some of the stuff that's coming out this year are still like these weird legacy things that are sort of like half tied to the Snyder verse. And like, it's, it's kind of a mess, but I guess with the flash, because it's flashpoint and it's kind of a multiverse type idea, like you can do what you want. It doesn't really matter, which is how they got Michael Keaton in there. The quote was, while discussing the DC slate, Gunn said, as per Collider, can I say one more thing? The Flash is fucking amazing. Like, it's one of the best superhero movies I've ever seen. Andy Machete did an amazing job. That's the direct quote. Steady. <laughs> well, I watched the trailer while we were prepping for the show. First time watch. And it was brutal. The, the, the special effects are terrible. I can't believe people are creaming for this movie. I thought the, perform, the performances all around, pretty awful. It feels like such a cheap attempt to capture the magic of other multiverse movies. I think it's kind of sad. It's, you might even how, say How desperate. long has it been finished? Uh, that's a good question. I don't know. Did it? Did they film this and finish it before the Spider-Man movie? I don't think so. At least, uh, no, I don't think so. Because I, I, I'm pretty sure the news was out there that there were going to be multiple Spider-Men in Spider-Man No Way Home before they announced that Michael Keaton was coming back as Batman. I don't know if hmm. one had started production yet or not, but... It definitely, yeah, I, I would say it still feels like DC is playing catch up with Marvel, but I mean, they kind of just need to do their own like thing. Like the two Barry Allens, that banter and the performance I thought was not great. All right. Do we need to go there? Do we need a little... Uh, would you like some uh, juice? Do we need to juice a little <laughs> bit here? Because I, I can uh, serve huh? some juice up if if you'd like. Clearly, you've got something uh, I mean, so I, I watched... I don't, but I can improvise. Um, Watch. I'm a big Batman 89 fan, constantly quoting it. (laughs) Gotta go to work. And um, let's not forget, Frank loves Batman too. I love Batman. (laughs) (laughs) Frank. Um, Yeah, it's true. He does. And. You, you look at this and it, it I mean, th- this isn't the only example of this, but obviously as Frank is ranting and raving about nostalgia is this uh, uh, obviously an attractive thing for a lot of people right now and is guiding the creative output of many industries. And I watch this and it truly is like seeing <clears throat> this character from this film you saw when you were 12 and it's so far removed that it has nothing to do with the thing that you saw when you were 12. Not only are you not the same person, but <laughs> the character is not the same person. The performance is, is like 
at least the, based, this is all based off the trailer. The action course. is like a different version of Batman. Yeah, and and he like his kind of sly smile when he's like, "I'm Batman. I gotta go to work." <laughs> I, I I feel like we know Michael um, Keaton like, did, a, did a convocation speech and said, "I'm Batman." Now like it's it's everything. It's so <laughs> gross. Like if they really want to pull oh, some nostalgia, in, where why aren't they quoting "I gotta go to work" in the trailer? Um, for all the true fans who would recognize that immediately. Um, but it, yeah, I mean, it, it, it makes me think of, this is a real, uh, you like some when, you, when, uh, <laughs> you know, on game junk, you guys do a show called game, game junk of the year and it's, uh, you talk about your favorite games and some, I remember thinking a while back, Sean, you were talking, well, first off, let me just start with the game boy and game boy advance announcements for Nintendo online. Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm not a huge gamer, but I see that and I'm like, oh, that's cool. I mean, I'm going to, that's, that's very cool. I'm going to go online and try that out and see what it's all about. Cool. And I get on there and I see the choices and I'm like, Ooh, what am I going to play first? And then I listen to game junk and you guys are like, yeah, really fucking I, I, was, I thought it was great Sean Sean's like I don't even have the expansion like this guy is the king of handheld games he's actively trying to get Frank to lend him some device for his GameCube <laughs> to put the Game Boy games in and games are dropping left and right on this app this Nintendo app and Sean isn't even interested and that's not a slam against you Sean it's just saying it's interesting because Especially in the video game conversations, like you are defined, Sean, as a person by Metroidvania, right? Yes. Like as a person. (laughs) It's my personality. (laughs) Now, your love of Metroidvania came from having an experience when you were, what, 10, 9? I think it's later than that. Somewhere in there. 13? I mean, Met- Metroid With- 1 I liked, but Metroid 2 is the one I really got into. Okay, so Metroid 2, and now 30 plus 45 years later, whatever it is, the math, you're, you think fondly back on that experience with Metroid, but do you actually want to have, want to play those games again? Like, how often are you playing retro games? Outside of on the podcast, romantically reminiscing about them and trying to look for them being represented in modern games. Yeah, I mean, I I think it falls into the same category for a lot of us. Those the old old games, like you know, uh, eight bit, sixteen bit era. You you look back on them fondly, something comes out that's similar or they re-release something and you're like, Oh, I got to play that. But then you play it for like half an hour, an hour. And you're like, okay, I got my fix. I'm done. Well, Jay doesn't even play them. He just buys them and buys every single one of them and (laughs) tells us how excited he is for them. And then, but his favorite nostalgia series, he's actively going against nostalgia. All he talks about is Wonder Boy. Then two collections pop up and he doesn't buy either of them. Meanwhile, he buys every other game and doesn't play it. I do not buy every other game. <laughs> no? 
do we need to go through you've, you've played a bot recently <laughs> and how many minutes you've what, put into them we'll say minutes okay well this, this is another conversation i mean <laughs> what i'm talking about and let's be clear what i'm talking about right now i do not care about and i'm not even sure where i'm going with it but sean it's a, it's a pure you, juice you, I'm with you. <laughs> you you get this metroidvania uh kind of acknowledgement and the reason you want to play it is because sometime 30 plus years ago you played another game that was kind of like that in, is was like that right sean so do i have a, to defend a, you here that I is mean, not why sean likes metroid likes it, he likes yeah, them I mean, because it is a tried and true design pattern that is was underutilized for a long period of time to the point where castlevania reused it to it had been so long since there was a good or new take on that design pattern that people loved it. And now it's reused constantly. So I think if anything, but it, it's, the it's appeal of that design, design pattern is starting to wear off on Sean. It's not just the design. It's the character, right? And the world. It's Samus. I mean, he, the guy had a statue, like what? You paid like $2,000 for some statue that <laughs> you put on your shelf and it ended up getting knocked over and shattered. Um, that wasn't Metroid, this, though. that was Monkey Island. Come on, man. Same thing, same thing, same <laughs> point. Um, that, and I, I'm not saying I'm not a part of this. It just, this is the example that reminds me is that some memory of an experience 30 plus years ago has lingered and you're wanting to recreate that experience now and like look at metroid prime it's a, a a good game the traction to that is the metroid of it all right it's a first person shooter and it's something that is capturing the same sort of feel of the the original games but reskinned with this character that like you love samus samus as a character <laughs> well, like the def a well-defined character um why is your hand up frank because you're incorrect the reason why we we don't have gamecube oh, oh, hold on you're you're telling me if metroid prime was skinned with like if it was a, a buck hunting game sean would be like oh i love the design <laughs> of this buck hunting game no, he'd be, I mean, yeah. the he'd be Metroid intrigued to play it. Has nothing he would to definitely do with still it. be intrigued to play it. The difference is we want to revisit that game and it would be nice to revisit it with modern technology applied to it. And the reason is because it's a great game. It, 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 there's lots of old nostalgia games that we would not play or care about if they got re-released. It's when great games get restored or remastered that it's an excuse to replay those great games without the burdens of old technology. Yeah. I mean, but I guess is, like there, there, there's many games that are Metroid inspired these days. Uh, I don't think like if I was only looking for nostalgia, I would only be playing the old games or I'd only be playing Metroid games. Like it, it is much more that style of game hooks me and that's why I like it. But obviously the, the game that originated it for me is, you know, there is nostalgia there. It is something I care about. The, the, this There's is what I'm, I'm getting at is, is that you are a Metroid fan, right? Yes or no? Yes. Your Metroid fandom, when was that defined? 
uh, you know, whatever the eighties sometime in the eighties. It's not that simple okay. though. And be- because oh, hold, hold on, hold he on, liked hold lots on. of things in the 80s and the early 90s that he doesn't want to revisit. So there's a bit of a chicken and egg scenario where not only is it just Metroid, but he loves sci-fi. I think the music, the ambient music is something that Sean likes, and those just happen to occur in Metroid. I don't know if it's because of Metroid or the other way around, but Metroid is still appealing to him, whereas other things that he liked, he probably doesn't care as much about i understand but what i'm saying is that you become a fan of something at an impressionable age and then you hold on to that and then now 30 plus years later it's not as important obviously in your life because you're an adult and you have whatever adult responsibilities and tastes change but you still hang on to metroid as the thing that you're a fan of and will go to and play no matter what. If it's got that name on it, you know that's for me. Uh, even if it's got there's a, a few form of the played, name on it. <laughs> Can I make it? <laughs> that's Metroid not games? even true. Yeah. Sean admit, admittedly has not beaten Metroid Prime 2 Dark Echoes or Metroid well, that's, Prime 3. Well, that's proving my point even more, he, that he is a Metroid fan in the memory of Metroid, and now the new the games that have come out since he hasn't been keeping up with as much because it's more about the memory of playing it when it was defining him. And it's less about playing it now because he's 30 plus years removed from that defining moment with that experience, that IP. He would still now play any new different. 2D Metroid. He would play any new 3D Metroid. As long as the well, game which is it, dude. Which is it? You're going bouncing I, I, I back and forth. First, he's it, like, he doesn't play any of them. Well, he plays all no, of them. No, I'm making a point. He's selective <laughs> in which ones he plays, if they're good or not. I mean, I, right. I kind of see the point you're making, Jay. I just don't know if that specific example is like the perfect example to illustrate it. But like, I think there, like, I, I, I feel like I'm more susceptible to. 80s nostalgia than you guys are in general like i'm kind of open to it and i enjoy it uh, you know sometimes it, it, the the sheer pandering of some of that stuff makes you feel gross and <laughs> that's where you start to turn away from it but uh, it just dep- it it depends on the form jay any toys around your desk right now any new toys that might fall Dude, under the umbrella I'm, of nostalgia i'm not, I'm not- I'm not judging anything. I'm just saying that the things that we became connected to in our youth was important then. It's not a big part of our lives now, but the memory is still a big part of our lives. So when people release games, movies, books, TV, toys, whatever, they're not tapping into our current love of that thing. They're tapping into the love we had of it before. And it's different now. We're different people. We're older. The characters are different. The technology is different. What made Batman 1989 special for the people who saw it at the time is because it felt different at the time. It doesn't feel different now. There's lots of movies that came in its wake that kind of replicated that that feeling. And now you look at the trailer, it's all CG, very different. Tim Burton was using a lot of old school techniques in the original Batman it was one of the first uh, comic book movies that we'd gotten that felt dark. It's just so different. It, you cannot, uh, you cannot capture whatever that movie was for the people at that time. Now, 
for the people who were kids then or the people who weren't even born then because the people who weren't even born care even less. It's just like in brand, that's it. In brand and in, in look. Yeah. So everything I mean, else is lost. It's interesting. You look back at like all the movies that had Super Bowl trailers and you've got like Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. You've got a Transformers movie. You've got the Super Mario <clears throat> Brothers movie, Dungeons and Dragons. Like all these things are exactly what you're talking about in some way. So, uh, Ghostbusters, I mean, the perfect example of lightning in a bottle at a certain time that somehow became a, a very valuable IP that they've attempted to exploit over and over and over again. And it keeps revealing itself as having been special to a very particular moment and not special in this moment. And you know, the, the way that fans fandom is so hard to please with all of the things that come out now and reflect whatever memories they have of a franchise or a character in the past. The reason they're so picky is because they're not kids anymore. They're, they're looking for that, that whatever it is a movie or a comic or whatever game to feel the way it did when they played it or saw it or read it when they were a kid and first experienced it, but it's never going to be that never. Yeah. But they're still going to pay to see it. So, I mean, that's, yeah. And they'll be disappointed because it's, <laughs> yeah, it can't, it can't possibly recapture the magic because you're no longer an impressionable kid. Amen, brother. Would you like some juice? I mean, I guess there are exceptions, at least ones that kind of have at least found some success that I think somehow justify that this keeps happening. But like, you know, obviously Top Gun Maverick, Star Wars The Force Awakens is probably the one that started this whole current wave of legacy sequels and everything. <clears throat> so, uh Yeah. I mean, is it changed for anyone? We're doing a premium on Pulp Heroes. I assume part of that, even in the 90s, was getting people who grew up with some of that stuff in their 40s, like we are now, uh, to go to the movies to see it. Yeah. Well, that's what Star Wars was as well, right? Like tapping in and Indiana Jones. And, and the further you get away from that intent, the further you get away from whatever was special about all of the ingredients that came together to make those things. Nobody is making star Wars now as a reflection of pulp heroes from, you know, the thirties and forties or Akira Kurosawa films. They're making star Wars films as a reflection of star Wars. And, yeah. you, you know, gotta live in the really... now. Yeah. You gotta get Who wants to live in the now, man. <laughs> Um, well, so any other thoughts on any other trailers? I mean, we mentioned the Indiana Jones Absolutely one. Absolutely not. I don't, I don't. It still looks horrible. Everyone at my Super Bowl, Super Bowl party thought it looked horrible, despite you guys saying it looked good. Uh, well, what trailer reaction. Like, what are you meaning by horrible? Like everyone watched that trailer. Like that looks terrible. 
I don't know why. That's what As they in said. The story or the trailer was terrible or the effects or what? Just generally all of the above, you know, just regular movie going fans that uh, said that looks really bad. And I, agree. I think a big part of it is just like, I, I, I don't know if the story is going to acknowledge his age at this point. I mean, I guess they kind of did in the last one a little bit, but I mean, like, it's just like, he's clearly so much older, but it's like, let's just pretend he's the exact same person he always was. Like, it's kind of weird, but um, I still think it has potential to be better than the last one, but um, yeah, I'm not... Uh, any enthusiasm I had initially is starting to fade already. I mean, what enthusiasm could you possibly have, though, that hasn't been diluted by Kingdom of the Crystal Skull or the fact that the originals were 30 plus years ago? Yeah, I think maybe just the thought that like, I, I like some of James Mangold's stuff and it's like maybe he can bring something to it, but I don't know. I don't know if that's happening. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because they, you know, always the talk about, oh, you could never replace Indiana Jones with another actor or, you know, it would just kind of, it would not work. Is it working with an 80-year-old actor? <laughs> like, it, it, isn't that kind of like you're replacing 30-plus-year-old Indiana Jones with 80 year old Indiana Jones and that works better than replacing Indiana Jones with another actor that I mean I don't yeah. know man I, I could be going off on a, a tangent here because I'm just everyone's freaking out in the, the world now with everything going on and <laughs> like there's been game changers every day this week if anything that the Super Bowl was we were talking, will there be a game changer at the Super Bowl? Alien like, invasion at the Super Bowl? Yeah, yeah my favorite <laughs> hypothetical topic. <laughs> it's definitely out in full force. Yeah, I mean, first contact is coming soon at this point, so. And if you're into everything that's going on in the news right now with UFOs and everything, like everyone talking about this, what is going on? Be sure to check out our UFO pre. Oh no! Sorry, we didn't do that because <laughs> no one wanted to. Hey, Never I'm mind. Still, I'm still down for Never a mind. fire fire in the sky retro review. So uh, yeah, you know, right. Anytime, anytime, brother. Mm -hmm. You let me know. <laughs> Gay brother. <laughs> All right. Uh, is that it? Are we sufficiently juiced? Yeah, I think so. Okay, well, um, we got to give a shout out. And, uh, oh, that's where I play the music. <laughs> Frank's looking very puzzled. I can barely uh, hear it. I don't know oh, if you have. Couldn't hear it. <laughs> okay, never mind. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, this week's shout out is Josh Kolb. And uh, I just want to say thanks. Thanks for being a hero. Which is that Kolb exactly with a K? Kolb with a K. K-O-L-B. I've seen that name. I've seen Josh Kolb's name. 
Oh, Josh mm-hmm. Kolb has been around for sure. Thanks, Josh. Thanks to all the patrons. Yeah. Lighting up the comment threads. Yeah. Yeah, Sometimes. good to know you spend, uh, you know, a, a whole Saturday night editing some fucking video and throw it up and then you get 175 comments on what premium you want. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we should mention the uh, Sidekicks video. I, like, I saw a few comments from people who, like, some people just listen to the audio for these things, but... Jay does throw in uh, some little some little Easter eggs in some of these uh, the video versions of these retro reviews. Sometimes you'll get a nice ten plus minute Easter egg right at <laughs> the beginning. A lot of debate there. Yeah. Was that intentional or not? Maybe. I don't know. No, it wasn't. Um, that was not- ripped because the, I ripped the trailer. Usually what I do is I'll go to YouTube, grab a trailer, stick it in at the beginning. For that, I ripped it from the Blu-ray and they had two. One was, I think, a proper trailer. The other was what was on there, which seemed to be a clip reel for maybe like a distributor or like, you know, selling the movie after the fact to not to consumers. And I went, I scrubbed through and I like the ending of the the longer one better because it had the RoboCop theme in there and was kind of weird. So I just threw it in the timeline. But on the timeline, it didn't look any longer or different or, you know, it just kind of was like, oh, here's a trailer. I didn't sit and watch the 10 minute trailer. Um, I assumed it was just another, another trailer because it had the same opening with the logo. And but um, it was a really cool clip. Rules, rules super clip. cut man it was which i'm sure worked brilliantly in in audio form although to be honest i i didn't realize the audio was taking right from the the video but um still i'm, yeah, I'm sure I, it was i great. started doing that because i was like thought that the trailer should be included but yeah <laughs> i guess a 10 minute trailer where it's just audio is maybe not the best uh experience um, one one comment pr- in the gag. in the retro review for Sidekicks video form was from our friend Matt Raimondo, which he really dropped some info on us because we ch- we talked about uh, Chun Kuk Do, the official Chuck Norris School of Martial Arts, and the only St. Catharines, Ontario had the only Canada's only certified Chun Kuk Do studio. Really? Yeah, and he got his black belt there. Wow. What? He put a humble he put a humble brag in his first black belt. Uh, I don't know what that means, but uh, that's pretty cool, pretty impressive. You didn't read that comment? No, I usually get notified of all the comments. I did not see that one come in. Jay's whining about comments. He didn't even read the ones that are there. Uh, any comment that's more than one line long, I skip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Uh, <laughs> Frank, did you watch the video? I did not. Dude, you're missing. Just, even this guy doesn't know what's going on. I've seen some people grabbing screen caps here and there on the Discord and uh, like a cast ensemble with me and a Game Junk thumbnail embedded somewhere. So uh, I will check it out. I just haven't had time. Cool. Does that sound accurate? A cast ensemble? 
of sidekicks with me in the the front. Yeah, you're at the judging table and you're in the <laughs> audience during the <laughs> the tournament. Pretty cool. Um, yeah. So patreon.com slash film junk. You want to check that out. All yeah, right, check it in, out. Let's get into this review here. Uh, Magic Mike's Last Dance. We've got a clip. Let's take a listen. Do you like bartending? It's not really what I do. What is it that you really do? But then you came along and gave me these unexpected magical moment that made me remember who I really was. Come with me to London. Let's go. Okay. So Magic Mike's Last Dance is directed by Steven Soderbergh and stars Sama Hayek and Channing Tatum. And the plot synopsis is Mike takes us to the stage again following a business deal that went bust, leaving him broke and taking bartender gigs in Florida. Mike heads to London with a wealthy socialite who lures him in with an offer he can't refuse. What did you guys think of Magic Mike's Last Dance? Well, um, I liked it as a simple, it almost felt like a, it, it was tapping into a subgenre that I I enjoy, which is the putting on a show subgenre, where you know everyone is coming together to put on this production, and then you get to see the production at the end, and it feels like an accomplishment, an achievement, and there's montages and very simple narrative, maybe a little too simple in some ways. Uh, I I think Mike, I didn't rewatch the first two, but he is a, a little more, it felt like he was a little more of a blank slate in this one than the other two. And of course, the, the, the dancers that he's friends with in the other two are not in this one, except for a, a small brief appearance on a Zoom call. But all of the dancers that they bring in for this new show don't even, they're not a part of the story. They're, they don't have... I don't think any of them really have any lines except when they're in the play. Um, so it's really focused on Mike and um, Selma Hayek's character, which I I was enjoying that. Like it, it was fine. It was um, watchable. It was entertaining, but it was a little as a third in this series, it felt like it actually reverted back to something more simplistic and something that was purely just, uh, focused on getting this, uh, performance off the ground more than anything else. And maybe I like that in some ways that it was a lot more refined and kind of, you know, just really targeted in terms of what it wanted to do. But, the characters um, overall were not as compelling as the other films. Um, but I, I, I did like the idea of this older woman kind of bringing him to London and getting him to put on this show because she's uh, going through the things that she's going through in her, her personal life. 
And, you know, even the stuff with, um, I like the characters of like the kid and the butler and those people, but they're, they're in it like just enough to like them, but they're not in it enough to have any real impact on anything. It felt like, uh, but I did, I did like the narration by the, the young girl and kind of added, uh, a little more thoughtfulness to what was going on, maybe in a way that felt like they got to the end and was were like, this is a little lifeless. We need to add something onto this to give it a little more weight or importance. Um, and then finally, the the I felt that the dancing at the end wasn't as fun. I still enjoyed it watching it, but it didn't top any of the other films in terms of performances. I think because partly because a lot of the humor was stripped away. Yeah, that's interesting. Like I, so I watched Magic Mike XXL for the first time this weekend and I wasn't there when you guys originally reviewed it, but I seem to remember there was a big debate over like, is the Magic Mike series primarily a comedy? Like, is that kind of its focus? And I, I think XXL for sure is. But Well, then, if you think XXL is a comedy, then you need to go back to the first one because the first one is like way funnier and is it? it's, it's basically, yeah. What's your, like McConaughey is like the comedic anchor to magic Mike and it like changes the whole movie and removing him from part two. It's still good. Uh, but it, it loses the appeal, not only of the comedy from his character and some of the other characters, but also there's way more playfulness and uh like humor in their dance routines like it, it it's like they're all in on a joke and with the audience you're in on a joke and steven soderbergh actually has a lot of fun with like lighting and filming those dance routines but they're very like intentionally comedic and over the top in a in a strip club right with yeah. the second can one I, can i say just to, before i forget this what you're saying frank I think it's comparable to like the first one, the dancing is like uh, professional wrestling, WWE. Yep. And then this one, it's like tournament wrestling. Yeah. And the third one's Foxcatcher. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's getting really serious. It, it's just like the, the self, self-awareness of how goofy some of the scenarios with the stripping was, was funny. And what made it work mostly outside of the visuals was that it was attached to these characters that outside of the strip club are these goofy kind of people. And when you see those characters stripping, you know, that character and it's that much more entertaining with this. Yeah. It was, it's very straightforward. When you take McConaughey out of the, uh, from the first one for magic, Mike XXL, they try to recreate this banter. <laughs> it almost feels improvised with some of the other strippers on the bus and it never really lands for me at all. They're likable. Uh, the scenario is kind of fun. The road trip movie, it, 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 it works on its structure alone. And the reason why I like it is I think it nails the ending. Like it's leaning more into the sexiness of the stripping and the dancing where the first one isn't. It's having fun with that. And then I think the final dance in XXL, like the mirror one, is where like or like that's that's really impressive. Like that's a cool idea. And uh, so that whole final show of XXL is well done. Now, the third one is a step down even from there for me because almost all humor has been removed and it's 
resting purely on Channing Tatum. And I don't think he's bad necessarily, but I don't think he's hilarious. And I don't think he's asked being asked to be hilarious in the movie. Uh, he's likable. And a bit with the Victor relationship, there's some comedic interplay. When Jay was saying like a, a genre, subgenre idea, I thought he was going to go to like a brash American being thrown into like stuffy British culture. I like that idea and him like just fish out of water scenario as a stripper or male entertainer going to this world and shaking things up. I thought the movie could have leaned into that a bit more. Um, but the romance angle, I really wasn't buying it all that much. And I didn't think they had much chemistry and even the final dance number, uh, the wet portion I thought was cool and creative, but the rest was pretty underwhelming to me. And part of that is like the, there is no character with any of the dancers. They they're they're for better or worse, just dancers in this ensemble and their personality doesn't really shine through. And that's where I was like, well, it's somewhat impressive. I'm not that into dancing. This movie makes it appreciate it a little more and the choreography, but uh, it, the whole movie to me feels really low energy. Like it's really selective with its use of music and it's either in montages or the actual dance numbers. Am I, am I mistaken in saying like, there's no score outside of that source? Like I didn't notice score at all in the movie. It felt so like empty when I was in the theater. Like it felt like a, it had a very weird vibe. It felt literally empty when I was in the theater. <laughs> my <laughs> my theater was, was pretty four, full four for people, but it was I just like, like it, it, it's probably more fun to watch with a like a full theater, but the only music I remember is yeah, you want to be in the splash zone, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, when uh, there's like the kind of Ocean's Eleven type moment where mm -hmm. they're talking about the routine of that one woman, which had you know kind of the classic Ocean's Eleven, you know. Totally. A bonk, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, otherwise, it is. it does feel like it's Steven Soderbergh kind of really going down the center line in terms of uh, the accessibility of the Magic Mike franchise, I suppose, and his quieter movies. And... I, I again I, I I didn't dislike the movie. I kinda I liked it. Like I found myself getting caught up in wanting them to succeed, but I feel like I could have been more invested in it if there were more characters to root for and hang on to. Um and there's not really it's interesting because there's not a lot of conflict. And not that it necessarily needs it, but I came out being reminded of John Favreau's chef where it's like, there's just a, a something happening and a lot of it is just kind of falling into place and it's small interpersonal dramas rather than bigger dramas. And there is a moment in the film where there's a threat to the production, but it's not a, a big threat and it's something that actually motivates them. So it, it's really just like, watching the process of them putting this show on. And I liked that aspect of it, but there's not a lot to it beyond that. The other dance routine I really liked was in the one where you're talking about the oceans 11 part. 
it, it does plays a bit like a montage though when they're when they're doing mm-hmm. that stuff and it ends with a dance number on a bus that I thought was pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah. I thought I thought that bus was going to go longer. Like it was cool, but I was like I thought it was going to be like a full song and I feel like it was like 30 seconds or something. It kind of that's one thing too is like I feel like there's not a ton of dancing throughout the whole film. There's kind of like the the opening dance sequence and then it's kind of not much for a long time and there's the bus thing and then obviously it builds to like it saves most of it for the big finale which is i guess kind of the structure of these type of movies where you're putting on a show as you said jay um but you know because of that i think that's where it there's not a lot of energy throughout the middle part um but i thought the movie was okay i mean it's it's fine and and certainly watchable and and fun but i think when they did have those other dancers from the previous films just on the zoom call, I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> These guys aren't in it. And I was kind of bummed out about that. And I still thought maybe there was a chance they might show up at the end or something, but like, you know, it, it, it out of all of them, this one feels much more a love story. Like it, that's the weird thing is like the, these movies, you know, I feel like they're kind of marketed to women. And like in my theater, there was like a huge group of, you know, women that were all there for like a ladies night out kind of thing. And I get that kind of energy with the first two movies. I don't know if this was that kind of movie. Like this is more of a date movie than a girls night out kind of movie. I think this is romance and permission. This is like elevating (laughs) the, uh, the sexual energy to romantic energy. That's true. Love Sean, you're, you're out to lunch, pal. You don't even know what makes these ladies tick. Well, I, it's an interesting question, though, because that was one of the things I was kind of thinking about with Magic Mike XXL because um, and and Soderbergh didn't direct that one. But it did feel almost to me like it's more like catered towards just it's like this hangout movie and you're hanging out with these bros. And like it's like, who is that really appealing to? I'm not sure, <laughs> but I, I had a really good time with it. So I guess it appealed to me, but. I've um, forgotten all the people in Magic Mike XXL. Yeah. Like Donald Glover, uh, Amber Heard, uh, Mary. S- no, is it? No, it's not Mary Steenburgen. It's uh, Diane Weiss. No, no, maybe it is. Uh, no, I know who you're talking about. And why can't I think of her name? Uh, but also uh, Michael Strahan is in it. Like just weird people I did not expect to be in that movie, but, um, yeah, but yeah. So this one, uh, like, like I said, it kind of builds to this thing at the end and I, I, I liked it, but I guess I was expecting a little more from the finale. Um, and I do wonder if having some of the other dancers be more characters in the film would have helped with that a bit. Cause at least like the Italian guy, it, when they bring that Italian guy in, I was thinking, okay, so this is going to add some tension because Mike is like older. This guy's younger. He's talented. Selma Hayek is paying to bring him all the way from Italy. That's going to create some drama in some way, but it doesn't, he, he's not a character at all. Yeah. And it, it, yeah, it's like, maybe you would be more rooting for, each of their sequences for them to succeed if you knew more about them or something, but they're really just 
you know, there for the show. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like I, the whole, like going to London thing is like, it, it did feel like it was playing into some rom-com type stereotypes there. Uh, like, I don't know if I'd say overall it's a romantic comedy, but like it, I don't know. It definitely reminded me of that at times. I'd say it's a romantic a comedy, pr- heavier on the romance. There's a pretty woman vibe to it a little bit with a yeah. role yeah. reversal. Yeah, for Andy, sure. Andy McDowell was the uh, performer I couldn't remember. Right, yeah. And yeah. I forgot Michael Strahan was in it. Yeah, that's what I said. Oh, yeah, sorry. Was, Sean, Sean Major. <laughs> I apologize. Anyone get a feeling from the last performance, uh, like video games live vibes? Like Tommy Tallarico was maybe involved in a little bit, a little bit <laughs> behind the scenes. I, I don't know. I was there. I lived video games live and uh, <laughs> I feel like I would have been more excited at video games live, except for the, like there's kind of an earthworm gym vibe to some of the uh, dance routines. Uh, there was one visual gag in the final performance that I did not get until they said what it is. Do you know what I'm talking about? Same here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking which I, about. Which I liked. I mean, it's a, a there are two times, one time the title of the movie is in the movie and it's just another kind of version of that. And with the, with the prop talking about the old dancers from one and two, I actually, was fine with them. I would have been fine with them not being in this. I felt like by the end of magic Mike XXL, their stories were kind of done if they didn't have a a good new story. But like Jay was saying, if they don't replace them with any new characters or interesting ones, like it, there's not a whole lot going on there. And the biggest missed opportunity, like we've said is Victor, the Butler. I thought there could have been way more stuff with him. Uh, it's very sparing yeah. and, and the daughter as well. They're, they're both there, but it does lean so, so much into the, that I, I guess that's the biggest failure to me. It's leaning into this tension between Salma Hayek and, uh, and Channing Tatum. And I just did not feel that chemistry at all. I mean, I thought they were okay together, but like, I just, I, I mean, not that it matters that much, but I mean, you sit down and you think about like that relationship. I mean, they literally meet because he's bartending at her party and she hires him to do a dance. And then all of a sudden she's like, and I get like where she is in her life, like things like that kind of spark something else. But, um, the, like the, you know, the fact that that relationship seems to be so much the focus of this movie is a little weird. I get their bond over doing the play together. I just didn't feel the romantic uh, connection escalating at the same level while that was happening. Yeah. Yeah. I, I kind of liked the business arrangement they had, you know, mm-hmm. like the, the way in which they were both handling things and he kept encouraging her and, you know, the, the little bit of tension there was with her ex getting in the way of everything. Uh, I, I liked all of that stuff, but I did feel like maybe at the end it was going to be a little less of a, you know, romantic comedy ending, I suppose, in terms of those two characters. 
but maybe when you watch all three it just sets up this continual you know mike falling for people and you know that that's just part of his character is that he falls in love with people fast and but i didn't watch the other two maybe i'm making that up no that's definitely a thing i went with a friend who had not seen the first two and i thought that was that would be an interesting experience because you don't have the other two to set up tonally what these films are about and you go into this one and it plays straight you know so it's kind of like a an experience that's missing the the bit of camp that the other ones had or self-awareness yeah and it's almost like i don't know like i feel like it's almost like steven soderbergh coming back to this franchise and being like okay this this got a little too campy a little too ironic we got to bring this back to something a little more uh, artistic almost and like just that idea of like uh you know taking like a a classic stage play but then turning it into like a strip show i don't know something about that feels like a soderbergh I don't know, like something about that interested him, I think. And, uh, and that, well, that's that. the failure to me. It doesn't feel like a strip show when you're watching it. Like the, the, it plays it too legit as far as I'm concerned in terms of trying to amp up this classic thing. Like I, I, yeah, I don't feel, it, it feels like barely moving into sexual territory at times. And and that's like, there's a big difference in the dancing there too, right? Because obviously these dancers are super talented people, but like the first two movies, they're not necessarily great dancers. They just have like, you know, a presence or like an attitude on stage or yeah, a shtick. And that's kind of what's fun about it. And then this one, it's like, okay, yeah, like this is impressive dancing, but like there's something kind of missing there, I think. And I thought that was going I, I, to be maybe a part of the movie. Like I thought they were going to be like, okay, this isn't working. We need some attitude. And that's where maybe they would bring the old guys back in, but they never did. Yeah. It's interesting because they kind of hint at the suggestion of including these dancers into the story a little more when <clears throat> they're all following the one woman to, to get Intel on her and, I liked when the dancers were being pulled into the scheme of getting this show off the ground, but they're not, that's not, it's really just in montages. It's not really explored otherwise, but I mean the, the sexlessness of the dance, well, it's not sexless. The dances are, are pretty sexy, but they're not like Frank is saying, hardcore strip shows, um, you know, the banana in the mouth with the, the whipped creams and whatnot. The this could be a re- result of Gen Z uh, and Gen Z's attack on sex in <laughs> yeah. film. Uh, does this maybe this is where things are headed? Yeah, it's an interesting thought. I mean, that the whole thing with the daughter being forced to go in the lobby. I mean, I was like, really? Like, it's not <laughs> that bad. <laughs> yeah, like, I get that, that was kind of played for laughs, but like they go to it for a, like a long period of time and it wasn't really that funny. So what was the point of that? Jay made yeah, us watch like, Oreo madness when we were like 13. <laughs> Why can't she see? I know it? you're telling me this daughter hasn't watched Oreo madness. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. It, I did like the idea of the one night only, but it also didn't add much of a tension to anything. You know, it, 
I thought maybe that would be utilized a bit more and the time crunch, you know, maybe they're like, oh, we put so much work into this and no one is showing up and they're like, what's going to happen? Nobody came. Nobody wants to see this. And then people start pouring in and it's like, what is, what is going on? Where are these people coming from? And the daughter's like, I was blogging about your setup. All the narration you've been hearing was my blog entries and I put it out and the wrote about it and it went viral and everyone wants to come and see, right? That'd be cool. And yeah. nobody came. <laughs> yeah. They still attended the show. Nobody came because it was sexless. <laughs> Let's just say... The splash zone, the only splash zone was on stage when there was rain. There was not really much of a splash zone. Okay, well, I don't want to, I don't think we need a spoiler discussion, but I am going to say because if we're talking about the one night only aspect, I thought there was a huge, like weird element to that final splash zone dance that it's a substitution, basically, that was. I thought the whole thing was going to be incorporating a different person into that mm, yeah, scenario. Like that I felt mean, really I, weird. I even thought from the trailer, I was like, huh, did I see like, and I was thought for sure that was where it was going, but uh, yeah, that didn't happen either. So it's kind of weird. All these things that you feel like they're setting up and then it just kind of plays it way more simple than you expected it to. But that's not simple. That's also the core relationship of the movie that gets subverted at some level. Yeah, I guess that's and true. I think some of the editing reveals why that could be a weak choice. Yeah. I don't know. I, I thought that was kind of just him subtly sending a, not actively sending a message, but through the inspiration of her involvement in this whole thing, she's recognizing that, you know, oh, he, his creative output has been inspired by our relationship and there's an acknowledgement there right that i get that i just didn't need the edit i didn't need the editing to that was pretty clear to me yeah i i I didn't either but yeah yeah i mean uh not too much else to say i guess one other thought was just you know you mentioned the narration and stuff and it did make me think that it was written by somebody different but i think is it's the same Reed Carolyn. Reed, yeah. Reed Carolyn, I think, wrote all three and is the only screenwriting credit for all three, I believe. So I don't know. Again, I think this like, one might have a second. No, maybe not. But, yeah, I don't know why uh, the, the change in tone, I guess, but. It, it could just be that they were at a point where they thought, okay, we've told we've done two films with this type of story. Now let's just break Mike off and do a disconnected story, you know, about him potentially finding love. I mean, it makes sense that if this is the last and the third, that you would be setting Mike up to like have a life. But I don't know that I totally bought this version of that. I don't think this is the last. It's not the last dance. I mean, I don't know how well these movies do, but I guess there's an audience out there. I mean, we this can only go for so long. Strippers have a shelf life. 
And Mike is definitely not a character you can recast. Well, in Super Bowl 75, maybe we'll be seeing old man Mike training his replacements. (laughs) Yeah. Could happen. (laughs) All right. Any other thoughts on Magic Mike's last dance? Uh, No. All right. (laughs) What are you guys going to give it out of five stars? I'll give it a 3.5. I will give it a two and a half. I will give it a three. All right. Let's get into other stuff we watched. I guess we all watched All That Breathes. Yep. Yeah. We can jump into that. This is a documentary just um, on HBO this past week, I think. And uh, it's one of the Oscar-nominated documentaries uh, directed by Shaunak Sen. And it is about uh, two brothers who are... Are they actually brothers? I think they are, right? They uh, they live in Delhi in India and they are um, taking it upon themselves to um, take take care of kite birds that are becoming sick, increasingly more sick because of pollution and the air quality and stuff like that. And so it's kind of about them, uh, their relationship, and them trying to grow this uh, animal rescue operation. But, you know, on a bigger scale, it's, you know, about uh, humans and animals and how we're all stuck together on this planet. And, I mean, I thought there was some pretty amazing cinematography in this movie that kind of just gets that across with without anything else. Just just individual shots that were pretty amazing. But what do you guys think of this? Uh, I'll say I loved it. Um, yeah, that that opening long shot of the rats in that uh, area I thought was amazing. And just the idea of the story of the two brothers is, is great. And the family and like everything that's going on in Delhi at the time, you know, they're, they're hyper-focused on these birds, but there's all of this other turmoil going on. And the birds are kind of representative of them trying to save something in this country. And, all of the thoughts of animals having to adapt to human presence and it becoming natural selection and them actually evolving to um, adapt to that sort of urban environment from the the whole thing about cigarette butts and the nests. And, um, you know, the, I loved when the guy described, they're talking about the, the kite birds, eating garbage at a landfill and how much garbage they eat per month to lessen the amount of garbage being produced. And they, they describe one of them describes Delhi as like the, the gut and the kite birds are like the microbiome in the gut eating everything up. Uh, everything is like a, a about some sort of, uh, um, you know, the bubble, they're all in the bubble The and the bubble is huge. It's huge. <laughs> um, and there's just some moments in this movie that visually are, are stunning. And like you said, Sean represent like the one shot where, you know, they're talking about protests and you see a big fire in the background and then it just slowly rack focuses to a snail 
uh, slide sliding along, walking, dancing along a something. Um, lots of big ideas represented in some very simple moments, and it's applicable to the world beyond this, um, but beyond Delhi. Um, and also the the uh, idea of the brother, the one brother leaving and going to America, and uh, the stress that that puts on the other brother and then their their person that they have helping as well just a lot of great characters amazing cinematography great subject really enjoyed it yeah i liked it a lot i don't think i liked it as much as as you guys but uh i thought the core relationships with the brothers and the other person the other person's salik right i think so uh yeah because uh, they none of them share like a first or last name, so I'm, I I wasn't sure that they were brothers when I was watching it. Um, I or I guess I didn't know that without the synopsis. Well, they, there's but, the one scene where they go to visit their mother's grave, um, where they okay, talk about. I, I guess I also wasn't sure if they were all th- all three were brothers or possibly just a son just the or, two. I I believe. Yeah. Uh, but I, I don't think that like that's important to liking the movie. It's more about what they're doing and how it relates to their environment, which all that stuff is great. I agree with the cinematography. I thought it was awesome, uh, especially stuff with all the animals. I absolutely loved, including any shots of birds within their cages or like uh, hospital like areas. I thought all that stuff looked fantastic, including the first shot Jay mentioned. Although I have to say, I'm going to put this on Crave. Like I know there's, there's two things. One is at the end of that shot. It like really looks like a special effect on Crave, like the car lights cut. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it actually is a special effect or happening. That was like that. If I can notice that that's a little off, but then there was also any panning shot was like stepping juddering. Yeah. Yeah. Crave is the worst. I mean, not just that, but the anytime there's a fade to black or a fade up, and you see the rings of compression. Yeah, you know, it, like, and that's why is, the headlight, the headlight behind. had that feeling, right? So I was like, I'm, I'm guessing this is Crave. I, so yeah, uh, I, I feel like there might have been an effect there, but anytime something subtly, gr- like a gradient subtly expands, it just breaks the compression. Yeah, and it's unfortunate. And the, the, the jittering, jittering was, especially was really noticeable. <laughs> like I was like, it's, yeah. it was making me kind of sick. I don't want to pull a Sean here. I didn't have to leave the theater or my bed, my bed, but uh, it was, <laughs> it was really obnoxious, but I don't think it's the filmmaker. Uh, I guess I'm the only thing I would, I don't want to go too far down this road, but uh, some of the analogies I, I was like, they sound good. I don't think if they're that accurate, to be honest. I don't want to get into why or why not with uh, <laughs> like the, the natural selection element for the cigarette box, the cigarette butts. I don't think that is an appropriate analogy. Uh, it's interesting to contemplate in the context of the movie, um, but I think it sounds better than it is applicable. But I did like the stuff about eating trash and crunching the numbers on that all that stuff were good i just really i think you both kind of mentioned this like it's an interesting thing they do and uh 
like it's a world you've never really seen before or at least in this context either and it was just really interesting to see be taken to another place and a very specific sub location within this place and also some element of relating to lots of things going on in the world and general political discourse but i i don't think the movie was too heavy-handed with that stuff i i I feel like it was more about them and their situation. So, uh, yeah, I really, I really liked it as well. I thought Delhi was a very just fascinating location. I mean, it's obviously it's a city that's got issues, but it's like for, again, what they're talking about here, like everything is all in one, you know, you've got like urban sprawl and you've got nature living within that you've got garbage everywhere. Like it's, I don't know the shot that was mind blowing to me. There was like a shot where it's like panning down a puddle and then you see like something swimming in the puddle. And then all of a sudden there's like a plane flying overhead and a reflection in the puddle. And it just seemed like, I don't know how you set that shot up, but that was crazy. There was lots of uses of reflection like that, that were, that were interesting. I'm going to guess the plane is an effects shot. You think? But I think so. But either way, it's still an amazing image. It would be an effect shot in a motion picture, you know, uh, Ant-Man in the quantum realm. Um, <laughs> but well, like another- but there, that's not to say there aren't amazing shots in this thing. Like uh, well, there's the um, one really cool moment is when the bird grabs the guy's glasses. Like that was crazy. Yeah. And again, even, like, even little things like when they're playing cricket in the in their hospital area, it just seems they share a hospital, their hospital with like a garage and it's on a security camera and you're watching them playing. And then the camera slowly pans over to the person sitting next to the TV where the security camera is. And he walks out and enters the room and it pans back and he's in the security camera footage now. And just the the blocking of some of that stuff. Or there, there's one moment where they're having a, he's having a, a bit of an argument with his wife about the protests, whether or not he will go because the birds are important as well. And then he, the, it's like a long shot from the end of a hall sort of, or, or like you're seeing the door and he closes the door and then the camera pans over to the father sitting and eating or whatever. Just that in itself, like being prepared for this person to close that door and then to make that move and focus on this dad. Like there's, there's some, a lot of great instincts in the film that at least feel like they're moments that are caught, you know, uh, sporadically. My other, not so much a criticism, but thought would be the tension between the brothers. Maybe that they're just, this is how it played out in reality. But I, I feel like there's, it could be a cultural thing, like how these things resolve themselves or don't, or don't get addressed. I feel like there must have been bigger conversations as to what's happening with that stuff. And the the last note of the movie uh, felt like it alluded to that, but I, the buildup of that argument and the tension, I didn't feel... Uh, I don't know. Just I, I didn't know what was going on specifically with this. I felt a little out of the loop, and it's a key part of the movie. I mean, I felt that basically between the two brothers, one was impulsive and one was focused. 
And the, the, the scene that sets that up brilliantly, I think, is when they swim across the river to get an injured bird. And the one brother, the focused, you know, more logical brother is like, I'm not going in there. The, the tide is too fast. We'll come back for it tomorrow. And the impulsive brother is like, no, we, it's going to be dead by tomorrow. We're just going to swim across. And they, they swim across, but they ultimately tire out by the end. And then the, the logical brother has to strip down and go in and help them get across the river because they put themselves in this situation. I thought that scene was a great sort of, uh, um, you know, representation of the tension that's going on with them because one of them wants, you know, they're all excited to get this hospital going and they're building a, these big cages on the roof. And, but the one brother has this opportunity in America and he's thinking about the long term. Like, I'll go there, I'll learn about all of this stuff that we need to know to, and bring this knowledge back, and we will be that much stronger when it comes to this mission. But the the other impulsive brother is like, we've got the hospital ready to go. We just put the sign up. We'd if you go to America, like the concern that he might lose this person to this other country that is, you know, uh, maybe a, a lot easier lifestyle. I I, I like that sort of dynamic between the two of them. Yeah, I guess it's interesting, but I felt like the the going to America was the more impulsive move. And wasn't that brother the one that was saying they felt trapped by being there? Uh, by being in Delhi? Yeah. I think so. I think so. I mean, he, he talks about wasting his time grinding meat when he has all of these, like, grant applications to take care of. So, the, you know, there's... And then he's complaining about getting the meat grinder fixed and the brother is like, you know, I feel like the dynamic between the two of them is pretty defined. Uh, it, it's not like dramatic, overly dramatic, but it is defined. Um, and even, you know, thinking about the difference between the two countries, like even that moment where he's trying to FaceTime the brother and the brother is frozen and he's just talking to him from the states and you know can't get through to him because of a technology problem um yeah i I thought there were a lot of moments that kind of set some things up really cleverly without actively saying it out loud yeah i think there's a difference too in terms of like i think one of them maybe is thinking more about the big picture and it's like this idea of like okay obviously there's this huge problem in the world in general and they're trying to fix it with like these little, this little kind of band-aid solution in a way, but like, obviously they're doing good, but then it's like, are you really making an impact? And I think maybe one of them is thinking like, okay, let's increase the impact we can have. Like, let's get more exposure, let's get more education, et cetera, et cetera. And the other one is just more like, let's just, what, why do we need to do that? Let's just keep doing what we're doing. And, uh, and I think that's an interesting debate too. And it's not like, you know, a huge discussion in the movie. It's just kind of there in between the lines. So I think that's, what's cool. Like there's a lot, a lot happens without words in this movie. Yeah. And there's also the element of these birds being, um, special within the, the, the culture that they're protecting these birds, um, 
not just randomly, you know, these birds are important to them culturally and religiously. Um, but the, the idea of being able to have some element of control in an environment that is completely out of control, even if the control they're attempting to attain seems impossible. When they start bringing birds in and it's like we've just brought in 60 some odd birds and you feel the weight of the environment crushing that species and what's next after that um if it's a battle they can't win but it's more of like a it feels like it is more of an internal thing for them i guess i miss the cultural significance of the black kite well at the beginning they they talk about if you feed is it that if you feed the bird meat then you are blessed in some way yeah some kind of like religious favor some something in your favor happens i, I don't remember exactly but yeah it was great and it was like under a, 90 minutes too is this a 2023 movie i think it's 2022 yeah got a limited theatrical Bummer. release but yeah i was thinking the same thing very cool very cool. i'm happy to include I was getting com- as one another uh piece of evidence for 2022 is one of the greatest years if not the greatest year of cinema ever i was thinking like oh i i like the moment where there was a romantic thing where one of them brought livers to feed the birds but i watched a episode of party of five where charlie goes on a date with a woman who takes care of birds of prey at a sanctuary and he brings her livers from salinger's restaurant um a lot of bird content this this weekend now that's a crazy coincidence right there yeah um okay anything else that you guys watched this week just magic mike and magic mike xxl which we talked about i have something uh i watched hider in the house from 1989 This is one of those movies I remember seeing when I was a kid. And the only thing I remembered was Gary Busey living in walls. And this thing uh, popped up at some point on cheap charts. And I was like, oh, that's that Gary Busey wall movie. It's a very strange film. It's um, Gary Busey plays someone who was uh, abused as a kid. He's he's got mental health issues has been released from um you know uh, uh, some sort of mental health institution and can kind of come and go and check in you know and they they you know what have you been doing have you gotten a job blah 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 but he decides that when he sees a, an attractive um Mimi Rogers excuse me moving into a home that's being renovated he sneaks into the home before they officially move in, goes into the attic and builds a little secret room where he lives and uh, like a par- like a parasite uh, feeds off of the lives of this family. Mimi Rogers, Michael McKean is the, the husband and he starts to influence the family and wants to, you know, wants to kind of make a move in on the wife slash mother 
in a very Gary Busey way. But if you look at the poster image, it says it all. I it's, did. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a, it's a, you know, fun, trashy, late 80s thriller. Should I add this to the list for uh, the evidence for 1989 being the greatest year of cinema ever? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think... Yeah. Bong Joon-ho has seen this movie? I would imagine so. I mean, this movie was a cultural kind of <laughs> touchstone at the time. I Everyone was seeing this thing and talking about it. Cool. But, yeah. Other than that, I just watched Party of Five and a bunch of um, videos on YouTube of pe- people being put under general anesthetic. New rabbit hole? Yeah. There's got to be a rabbit new hole YouTube for wa- rabbit waking hole. up from general anesthetic. No, the the well, that's another one. But the, yeah. the really fun one is the the rabbit hole of people trying to resist general anesthetic, and oh. you know, trying to talk and be aware as long as they possibly can before they go out. What's the check it out? On it's that? a great. Uh, it was some Steve-O had a video where he did it and he had a friend that's a skateboarder. They both went to, was it Australia or somewhere to get um, stem cells injected into their bodies and they had to be put under for that. And his friend did something like eight minutes or something, just talking. Huh. Pretty yeah, Ginger? Ginger? Yeah, red Why, edge, g- like you have to use like way more anesthetic to put them out isn't that the thing it Pretty is sure. why because they sure. have so much orange oh, it's, just a, it's a weird genetic thing hmm. um okay cool didn't know that yeah check out some uh ginger uh anesthetic videos that might be another rabbit hole for you uh here's what studies have revealed about redheads and pain they need about 20% more anesthesia to be sedated. They also need more local topical anesthetics, such as uh, lidocaine or novocaine, which is why many redheads have a fear of dentists, according to the American Dentistry Association. I think the reverse is also true. Many dentists have a fear of redheads. <laughs> it makes them nervous. Um, oh, it's so an I- MC, MC1R mutation. Hmm. Cool. Cool. Pretty good mutation. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. I watched one of the other Oscar nominated documentaries, All the Beauty and the Bloodshed, directed by Laura Poitras. And so I've been a fan of some of her other films. They are generally more, um, I guess, I don't know if cloak and dagger, if that's the right word, but some of them anyway have kind of, uh, dealt with, you know, um, issues of people trying to, uh, escape surveillance, things like this. Um, and this one does actually have some elements of that. I was kind of surprised by that, but, um, but really it's, so it's about, uh, Nan Golden, who's a artist and photographer, and she has become an activist against, um, well, basically, uh, she's very concerned with the opioid crisis and she's 
been trying to take down the Sackler family, which I didn't know anything about this specifically, but I guess they are very much largely responsible for the opioid, opioid, opioid epidemic because they were pushing, they were manufacturing these drugs and they were pushing these drugs in the early days uh, and trying to downplay their effects and all this kind of stuff and giving doctors bonuses for prescribing them and um and that and they have had a big impact in the art community because they've donated to a lot of museums and art galleries and so their name is on a lot of things and so she's been trying to basically get their name off of all of these things and uh just trying to raise awareness and um so it's kind of like this it's kind of about two things like it's kind of about her life story and her work and a lot of her stuff has covered like the LGBTQ community. And so it's a bit about that stuff, but then it's also kind of about this opioid thing. And I am kind of on the side of feeling like, like it's not that it like, it's, it's, it's a great movie and it's not like those two things don't mix. Like obviously that's part of her life. And, and she grew up the way she grew up, which turned her into an activist. Like she's had her own struggles with, with drug addiction. And, uh, but like, I also do feel like there's two dueling storylines here and I kind of wanted to, I, I was a little bit more interested in the opioid stuff just cause I was like, I didn't know any of this stuff. And, uh, I was kind of into like some of the activism stuff, sort of stunts they were doing and things like that. But, um, you know, not that the, uh, sort of, uh, life story, kind of memoir side of things wasn't interesting, but I mean, it is because she's a photographer. A lot of it is just still images of like her work. And, uh, you know, just, I was kind of wanting to get back to the other side of the story a lot of times. So, I mean, I still really liked it, but, um, I guess that was, that would be my one criticism. Um, but I think it's worth checking out for sure. It is on VOD currently is how i watched it yeah i'm i will be watching it probably this week cool couldn't get to it this weekend because of the um anesthesia videos understandable um yeah that's about it for me um i mean i'm kind of going through succession right now trying to get caught up for season four and i finished season one which i really enjoyed so cool. let's uh get into some dvd blu-ray and vod releases this week i think the big releases are the fablemans uh strange world and decision to leave the first two are on 4k the latter is not from what i saw um also the new house party movie uh dark glasses christmas with the campbells and american gigolo season one Catalog releases, we've got uh, Romeo and Juliet, the 1968 version, uh, Francois Truffaut collection, the story of Adele H., uh, Iron Monkey, The Bride Wore Black, Enter Santo, White Woman, Giallo Essentials, Mississippi Mermaid, uh, Just Another Girl on the IRT, and Zoo Warriors from the Magic Mountain. And then on VOD this week, we've got Framing Agnes, Swallowed, and The Other Fellow, which is like some kind of James Bond-related documentary. 
Not exactly sure what the angle is on that one. Um, From the title, I would imagine it's uh, about what's his name. Yeah, that's what I thought. But, but he there, already, there was already a documentary about him. Yeah, so I don't think it's specifically about him, but I'm not sure. Um, on streaming this week, we've got Star Trek Picard Season 3 on Paramount+. Plus. Still got to finish Season 2. I don't know if it's going to happen. Uh, Carnival Row Season 2 on Prime. A couple of new shows on Apple TV+. Plus. Hello Tomorrow and Sharper. Uh, oh, right. The, the other fellow is about people, men uh, named James Bond in, in the world. Oh, really? Uh, did not expect that angle. <laughs> uh, on Netflix, Full Swing, this is a golf documentary series, I think. Didn't they? I feel like they, there was a Super Bowl commercial or something that was promoting this some point um red rose on netflix african queens on netflix um perfect match on netflix animaniac season three on hulu and nothing lasts forever which is was on jay's top 10 list for last year is finally on showtime not in canada though from what i've seen hmm. of course yeah, I don't really understand the connection because Crave offers Showtime, but I think it's only like some of their content. So it's like 50-50 whether something's going to show up in Canada on Crave or not, if it's on Showtime. Same same with HBO Max. There's a lot of stuff that came out on HBO Max in the States that didn't come here or took a long time to get here. Yeah, that's true. And now they're pulling everything off their service. So some things may never come here. Yeah. Did you see the report that Netflix is pulling Arrested Development? Yeah. Including their original sequel? Yeah. I, so, I mean, I, I thought when I first read that, it was just because they didn't have the rights, kind of the uh, endless rights to the first few seasons, first three seasons, because that wasn't, produced by netflix but i would have thought that they would have the rights to the last one or the last two whatever they did i mean i don't know I, I wonder if they just continually track how well some of these things are performing and even if it's their own original content if it's not performing then they ditch it i don't know yeah i mean that seems like the new state of streaming is if stuff's like kind of fallen off the radar then pull it because you got to pay residuals on that stuff, um, <clears throat> which I don't know. I, I feel like streaming is going to be, there's going to be problems in the next couple of years. So, uh, not there's going to be a reckoning. <laughs> not all of these streaming services are going to survive. And of course, Netflix, now everybody's talking about the uh, password sharing crackdown. Yeah. I don't, I don't believe they're going to lose Everybody's like, oh, I'm canceling Netflix. I don't believe that. That's I do. <laughs> you do? Yeah. I mean, I guess if it if they if it actually gets to a point where it's affecting you personally, like how you watch, like, I don't know, you go to a cottage or something and you can't watch it there, or you can't watch it at work, or you can't use your phone, like maybe that starts to become a problem. But like if it's just like 
friends can't watch on other friends Netflix. I, I don't think people are going to cancel. Maybe they won't get the new subscribers they think they're going to get. But it just feels like one of those default things that everybody still just subscribes to because they do, you know? The price so has gone up thing. substantially. Yeah, that's true. Uh, this only happened in Canada, right? They they abandoned this for the States? Or did it happen in the States? I think it's happening in the States, too. I just think they maybe change the rules a little bit or something. I, I don't know. They changed the the messaging of how they put it out there, but I'm pretty sure it's happening everywhere. Oh, it's starting in Canada. Yeah, Apparently. I did, I did get the message and had to set my address and everything. So I think uh, Reed's out of luck, <laughs> but I told him he's welcome to come to my driveway once a month to uh, connect to my Wi-Fi. <laughs> well, it, I, there's that other thing that I don't totally understand, but seems like a big ask that you have to check in every 30 days and confirm your, your device or something. Yeah, I don't really understand that. I, I thought that was like, if it's not connected to your home Wi-Fi network, that's what you have to do. But if you have like multiple TVs, maybe you don't use one that often. So you're telling me after 30 days, that thing gets deactivated and you got to like call them to reactivate that device or something. I don't know. It seems a little weird. Mm. But yeah, people are definitely yeah. freaking out and... uh I guess time will tell if it actually is a major source of frustration. I think there's also a misunderstanding. I've seen some people talking about how expensive it, like for people with families, kids in university, you know, how expensive it is to have a $16 subscription times four. But to be fair, it's not, $16 times four, it's I think $3.99 or something to add a user. Yeah, there's some month. kind of family plan, right? $7.99 yeah. in Canada per user, and it might be one or two max. And that's only if you have Netflix Premium, I believe. Hmm. I mean, Netflix, I don't know, man. Netflix feels like it's very quickly becoming it was at the top of the game and everyone was like talking about netflix award-winning movies and cleaning up at the awards shows and now it's just kind of a weird place it, for it is, reality stuff it is true that they don't have like the quality is is definitely questionable in a lot of cases and i think you know, for a lot of people, Disney Plus and HBO are the two kind of must-haves now. But I just feel like Netflix is that default thing when people just don't have anything specific in mind. They just throw on the TV and they're just looking for something to kind of um, waste away to. <laughs> like, that's what they watch. They just throw on Netflix. So, but maybe I'm wrong. Um. Okay, so in theaters this weekend, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. Cinema's back, baby. 
Um, yeah. Not too much else. There's also this weird Marlowe movie starring Liam Neeson, uh, which I'm kind of interested in. And then Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, which I think is like a Fathom Events thing. I don't think it's actually getting a wide release, but maybe some horror heads out there are interested. And Probably. I think that's it. So next week on the show, uh, we will be talking Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. Been hearing mixed things, which means it must really be bad because the early reviews are always amazing for these Marvel movies, no matter what. But you never know. I thought the trailer looked really bad, but the, the newest one is a bit better. I mean, I, I like the Ant-Man movies just in how kind of middle of the road they are. Like, they're not, I find that they're kind of light, but they're not super complicated. But this one looks like it might be getting too complicated. So, okay. Anything else you guys need to mention? Nope, that's it. All right. Uh, filmjunk.com for all the links you might need. Patreon.com slash filmjunk and become a patron. And until next time, we'll see you guys later. Bye-bye.